0: Today, today value is more associated with relatability of your journey than it is the depth and genius of your teaching. That took me a long time to learn. Hey, it's Brendan dropping in here on something special. I think the most important thing you can do in your life Well, like all learning and all breakthroughs, you have to choose first to learn, to learn from the best, to invest in yourself, to do the work, to do the daily work. You have to train with the best, and that's why we created Growth Day's mastery program. Listen, we're going to train you to make self-improvement a real way of life How the heck can you maintain all of this stuff? You know, there's so many places you have to be putting content out, creating your brand, sharing your story, creating community. It's super overwhelming. And I know many of you are really struggling with that. So, And my job with you each is to share some simple marketing knowledge you can use to grow your brand, grow your business every single month. So I'm pumped that you're here. Our conversation is so important today, which is, How can you maximize your content output without completely stressing out your life, exhausting yourself, getting burned out, getting tired of it? Because I know some of you are already there. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm just so tired of creating content, Brendan. I'm like, you're just starting. So we're going to jump into how do you create a lot of content but not freak yourself out. We'll talk about what you can do, where to put stuff. We'll talk about content strategy. We'll talk about team. It's a big discussion today. And again, we'll get into your questions. Okay. Let's start with four big, simple ideas that are really making my year of content finally get going. Um, which has been really important because some of you know, uh, Denise, I moved down to Puerto Rico and it's just been getting the studio up and running. Honestly, it's just been shipping in all the product. All our camera, all our lights, all our gear, all our podcast stuff I'll run run through some of that because some of you did have questions on the new gear setup down here It's much more, I would say, convenient to pack up, to move around, to make things happen with I'll share some of that with you today and then we'll get into content stuff But I can literally describe my content strategy in just a couple cards So I'm going to do that first and then we'll go into content creation and distribution. Okay, there's three primary sources I think of pulling from my content to create social media. And these things really inform what I'm doing and what I'm creating. Um, and let's talk about specifically creating content for social media, which is probably the primary question. Many of you are exhausted from social media already. And I'm like, already? It just came out. I mean, social media is... Completely new. You know what we're talking about? 2009 was its really beginning arc. So listen, if if you're burned out after 10 years, holy cow, y'all. So I'm really excited for you to really tune in. Here's how I think of social media, okay? Especially today with my team, how we're approaching it, or I'm approaching it, and the team is helping us with it. Number one. Okay. You see, I have basically, I think of like three choices to pull from to create stuff. There's live, library, and learning. So write these down, live, library, and learning. And what I want to do is is tell you what that means to me and how I think about content creation, okay? How I think about content creation. We'll specifically again start with social media because that's your primary questions. We'll work backwards from that. So how do I think about creating all this content on social media? Well, I go, well, I've got three things to pull from, from social media. One, I go live very, very consistently in my brands as part of both the fulfillment to things people bought, like what we're doing right here, this is live. And then I go live for my personal development brands and then I go live on social media and all of that live stuff is just content that can be cut up and spread on social media. Even the paid stuff, like today I did a, you know, two hour high performance coaching session That we will take and cherry pick some of the best of it and we'll cut it up into 60 second clips or three to five minute clips. We'll talk about that later. And that will be stuff that we proliferate across the internet using like circular virality. So in other words, you're already going live probably to contribute, to serve, to sell. And if you are, utilize that again. Many of you are also going live on social media. You're going live on Instagram or you're going on Facebook, but then you forget about it and you let it just live in that one post or that one replay. Instead, grab it, cut it up into 60 seconds or three to five minute segments, and then put that out on social media. I think it's a a really important idea um, because it serves two masters, right? Right if you'll go live more consistently on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever vehicle that you go through, if you'll go live way more often, you're actually helping yourself because now your team or yourself, depending on how you do it, let's just call it your team, your team is able to go and grab all those replays and chop it up and be putting it out there. And so you're creating the very vehicle for all of your content, just by going live more often. And by going live more often, you are getting way more connection with your audience, you're getting way more better at extemporaneous speaking, and the algorithm starts favoring you because the algorithm still favors live. So you're serving so many masters by going live. And so many people get really freaked out, they're like, oh my gosh, I, I gotta go live every day? I'm like, no. Look, if you went live twice a week, Three times a week? That would be plenty for you or your team to use the replays of that for all of the social media the rest of the week. Your team can pull quote cards from that content. You can chop it up or your team chop it up and to use it in those other segments, whether it's 60 seconds on Instagram or a couple minutes on Facebook or a couple minutes on Instagram TV. It's just so helpful to think of going live more consistently. I can't share it enough. I am guilty of sometimes i 'm doing a lot live and then a lot less, and that 's because of my travel schedule usually i don 't try to overdo it. The most important thing I can share with every one of you is please stop compromising your wellness to create content for people it, like that 's not fun. I mean, I really admire some of you know i Superwoman, her real name is Lily Singh, and she Revealed just a couple of months ago that she was going to stop creating so much content on YouTube. She was one of the biggest YouTubers in the world. And she, you know, kind of tapped around it in her talking for a while. And then finally just came out and said, you know what? I need to do it for my mental health. Creating too much content is exhausting. And don't think that you need to do it. The audience doesn't have to have it. So, for example, I've posted once on Instagram today. Now, I teach everybody, post four times a day on Instagram. But there are days like today where it's just so crazy and so busy, I didn't feel like it. I just didn't feel like it. And I'm still at a point where I do my own Instagram posting. I just literally did not feel like it. I wanted to focus on my customers today. Now, people go, oh my gosh, that's gonna hurt you here or hurt you there. I'm like, no, because I'm playing the long game, which is what I want you to do. If you are consistent on Your content, if you miss a day or you miss a week, no problem. The algorithms aren't going to freak out on you. Calm yourself down. If you are hurting your wellness or your mental health by over-creating, we need to talk about that right now. It's a major issue. I just had some of the biggest influencers in the world down to Puerto Rico, some of my friends. And this issue of burnout, I have never seen it more dominant in our industry people are burning out left and right and they're exhausted and they're putting on happy smiles on the internet but secretly they're texting me or calling me or emailing me for advice and saying i don't know how you do it i can't do it anymore uh you know i'm not i'm doing the same things i used to always do but now i don't have any joy or fulfillment from it and it's because they're overdoing it sometimes and they're not repackaging or re-promoting content they already have. It's like a reposting strategy can really save you. There were years on Facebook where I created a new quote card every day. Four new quote cards every day on Facebook for like seven years. Literally original quote cards every day, four of them every day, seven years. But the whole time I was just storing it and storing them and storing them and storing them. And then I could just post, you know, two a day and the other two were recycled. Then I could do one a day and the other three were recycled. And then when Instagram came out, I already had all this content that I'd been storing up and I was just adding some new ones and then recycling others. And that recycle strategy is why I'm still sane after a decade of content serving millions of people. And I just want you to think about it. It's like, a, it's like that reposting or recycling strategy is critical to sanity. And I really believe too many people burn themselves out on content by their own choice. So I'm challenging you, my friends, don't overdo it. Like, be very consistent, but leverage what you are already doing to help. So again, I'm thinking of three things. One is the live stuff. So I go live, grab it, cut it up, repost it and on an ongoing basis, add it to the library. Then two, the library of full episodes that I've done and I've recommended to you all is, it's just like unbelievable. I've done one new episode in general every week or every other week forever, you know? And that library is just like sitting there of such great stuff that we're able to pull from, grab, cut up, and put out on the internet. Um, I literally just hired a brand new video team to go in and just grab here, here's my event footage go grab these things from it here's my youtube stuff go grab and they're just like five ten people just cutting all day long and it's gonna like be a just an unbelievable torrent of new content we're releasing this summer and it's powerful it's powerful you know i, I think it's really great keith says I hired a video editor on Upwork and a chief local videographer and a third virtual assistant. Brendan changed my life. LOL. It's his fault. <laughs> Thanks, Keith. I think what Keith is realizing, like everyone else does, is you can actually do a lot when you have a team. You really can. You've been holding off from of hiring that virtual assistant or that video editor, and I'm just here to say it will save you so much time and sanity. Um, I'm really concerned about the mental health of our industry right now. It's, uh, it's incredibly concerning and it's because people are not leveraging previous content and they are not leveraging team. And if you can get those in your head as a strategy, the rest of this is going to be easy. Then there's this other thing like posting your learning journey. What does that mean? I think so many people are overthinking what they're doing on Instagram or on Facebook, myself originally included. Um, I'm a little bit in a holding pattern. If you guys haven't noticed a little bit on social media for a big launch we have coming up. So I've been like, not just kind of ghosting a little bit, but you'll see the strategy this summer, as well as tons of our clients have been doing it now for two years where they're just sharing their learning. So just pop up on your Instagram live and just go, Hey, uh, today I'm going to do this, this, and this, and, and here's what I learned about it. That's it. Don't think you have to overproduce. Teaching points, curriculum. I mean, I know that many of you have that same heart as me. You're experts, or you're thought leaders, you're curriculum builders, and you really want to do that. I'm here to share. Just talking about what you're doing during the day or what you learn from the day is plenty. Plenty. Stop overproducing because that's why you're also exhausted. You think you have to get all these things in motion doing everything. It's like, ugh. No, you don't. You have to show up consistently and deliver value. But today, today value is more associated with relatability of your journey than it is the depth and genius of your teaching. That took me a long time to learn. I think I don't, I don't think I fully grasped that until last year. And so, you know, much of my stuff was very, very, very produced and very, very, very well thought out because What I was giving out to the world for free was as thoughtful as I might be teaching and giving in my courses. And that really helped build the brand. But what the world wants today is as much relatability to your journey as the genius of your teaching points, at least in the social media realm, which again is what I promised to talk about. So I want you to share more of your learning journey as your posts. And that's the stuff that maybe you don't recycle, because it's like, hey, today I did X, Y, and Z, and I learned X, Y, and Z. A lot of that stuff just that, that can be that singular effort creation of the day. The other stuff can be pulled from other resources. Okay. The other stuff can be pulled from other resources. Okay. Now let's get back to some more of this content creation and what to cut up and things like this. I still highly, highly, highly encourage each of you to do a full length episode of whatever you do every week. Every single week, at least one full-length episode. That has been the, the the hallmark of greatness of our industry. Every week. So if that means a full-length blog post for you, or a full-length YouTube, or a, a you know a full-length um, podcast, and that 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 I can't tell you how long it needs to be. In general, what I see people doing is a full-length thing. Is usually like a fifteen-minute all the way to a 60-minute thing, 15-minute to 60-minute thing. It could be a 15-minute YouTube video or a 60-minute podcast, as an example. But that gives your team so much content to cut up. I'll give you an example. A 20-minute, you know, if you did a 20-minute YouTube every week, that 20-minute YouTube will probably kick out 10 to 15 pieces, little 60-second segments that you can use on Instagram or on Instagram stories, or on Facebook, etc. Uh, it can kick out five great, you know, three-minute segments on Facebook. And the way that I do it with my team, if you guys haven't noticed, is usually what I try to do in my YouTubes, uh, which is my, where I my full-length episodes are. I do a, like a 20-minute YouTube as an example. So if you go watch my last one, I taught on YouTube, I taught, you know, the four greatest decisions of my life. And that was purposeful. I could have taught the three, I could have taught the five, I could have taught the ten. Instead, I taught the four greatest lessons I learned in my life. Because those four great lessons tend to give us, you know, four, each of those four points in 20 minutes, that tends to give us a great longer segment for Facebook to grab, right? A great longer, so each of those points becomes like a three-minute Facebook segment. And I did four of them, so now I've got four of those three-minute Facebook segments plus the original full episode, and then plus like those 10 or 12 60-second things that will come out of that. My team just grabs those, stores them up, puts them places that I can easily grab them in Dropbox on my phone, because some of them I still originally post, or they post. And that's been incredibly powerful over the years. Like I just have so much content to pull from because that full-length episode. Um, I tend, as many of you know, I shoot my episodes in full batches, meaning I like to shoot like four YouTubes in a day or maybe eight YouTubes in a day. Now that I've got a studio backup, uh, you'll see the next couple episodes uh, were all shot in one space here in Puerto Rico, which has been nice. Uh, let's see. Other secrets. Um, this is a good one. If y'all didn't know this, you know, our team was spending a tremendous amount of time taking that full-length YouTube, which is like eight shot in HD, and they were shut, they were cutting up into like square, like square sizes for like Instagram, uh, another size for Facebook, another size vertically for Instagram TV, and it was just becoming a hot mess of all these different dimensions. But what we found is, outside of you know YouTube being HD, everything else you can have cut into four by five. That's where it's just a little taller than a square, and that four by five. That, that dimension is perfect for Facebook. That dimension is also perfect for Instagram. And that dimension is also perfect for Instagram TV. On Instagram TV, you might just need to add a little, you know, a little bar to give it some more height, depending on what the framing of your shot is. But it's really good to know this. So our team stopped having to cut up all this stuff just for Facebook at different dimensions and different dimensions for Instagram because four by five, is able to post on both Instagram and Facebook. And I see so few people doing that because they're spending a lot of time cutting things up just for Instagram or just for Facebook in different dimensions. And that eats up a lot of time. Okay, our primary focus is taking that weekly episode that I told you about, that full-length episode, and then cutting up into two primary things. One, a six, an Instagram 60-second clip And again, we'll try to get four or so out of those from my full episode. And then a three to five minute episodes for Facebook. So we'll take from each of those four teaching points, we'll try to grab three to five minutes of each. And those will become separate. And so it's giving a lot of content throughout the week. Now, if you see over the last couple of I don't know, a couple of months, we got a little bit away from that um, as we've been transitioning some team and strategy in my personal brand, particularly the emphasis we had, if you saw, we were launching HPX with my wife. So we kind of put a little bit of hold, if you've seen, on our circular velocity and the strategy I just covered, but we're returning right back to them with a vengeance this next month. And so I really believe that these simple things help so much, then I know many of you are like, well, what about LinkedIn or what about Twitter or what about all these other things? Same strategy, same exact strategy. Pull from your library, pull from your lives, pull from your full-length episodes. That's really going to help you so much. I know Ricardo, right? Four by five aspect ratio, mind blown. Mad, see, amazing tip. These guys are, they're so good at it. But for some reason, we were all cutting up square versus that versus, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's such a time to save up. I know, little tips like that help so much. Okay, let's go up and do some Q&A with you guys. Let's see, uh, coming back up. Mad's first question was in, I struggle with how much behind the scenes to show. I'm afraid it can be too unprofessional. It's from my beauty brand, so not just a personal brand. Thanks a lot. Um, Mad's, it really depends on the theme and the style you're creating for the brand. You know, I think so many people feel like they have to do these big, vulnerable behind-the-scenes things where it's sloppy and messy. And I just don't agree. Um, uh, Mad's a good thing for you to watch is, like, look at Goop. G-O-O-P. I'm sure you're familiar and following them. Look at how Goop does behind-the-scenes. It's still produced a behind-the-scenes. Like, they're behind-the-scenes, but they're still shooting it beautifully. It still looks good. the The lighting of the behind-the-scenes is still great. It's almost like they're lighting the behind the scenes of the scene. And so if you're stylistically wanting that higher aspirational brand like that, go for it, go for it. Especially if it's, as he's saying, it's not his personal brand in your personal brands, do lots of behind the scenes, do lots of, I call them step asides. Like if you're going to shoot like this and you guys probably saw it on, uh, or will see it today on Instagram. I just, I did a, a live. I stepped aside. Hey guys, I just went live. I turned it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I posted that. <laughs> you know, and that was simple. It was. It's like a step, like step outside of what you're doing. Talk about what you're doing. Give a lesson, and you're done. And that is a great simple behind the scenes piece. I also feel, Mads, though, with the, like a beauty brand is try to the behind the scenes should be a story of building something. So it's like, if you're if you're releasing a new product, the behind the scenes of it should be like the behind the scenes of creating the product. Show people meeting, show the thing running off the line, like make a little mini, like almost the behind the scenes is the old school behind the scenes, which is almost like a documentary behind the scenes of the thing, versus just like a sloppy shot from behind the thing. If you're trying to build a brand, I think the behind the scenes sort of documentary style vlog is more valuable than just like, you know, a, a, a three to five minute quick thing. I think you might as well take the time. It's not that you can't do both. I'm just saying thematically to create that long term aspirational brand. I would do that. Like, for example, with HPX, with my wife, you know, my, if you've seen my wife, she, she has, she, she says, I don't do sloppy. So she just doesn't. She's never going to be like some sloppy behind-the-scenes thing. She's going to be thoughtful and curate it because that's what she wants to show the world, not because she's not vulnerable, but because she cares about that professionalism exactly as you're asking about meds. So, awesome. Aaron Oxel, focus on one platform or several and all. I want to be a prolific influencer and help thousands of people. Um, Aaron, I really do believe, yes, focus on one. Like Choose one to be your main build-it-up thing. But also do that weekly content that can proliferate onto both uh, Instagram and Facebook and anything else that you feel like is important for your brand. Today, people always ask, Brandon, what should, like, what should I focus on? I'm like, in the immediacy of a right now, there is nothing more important or highly engaged as Instagram. Just, there's nothing, there's nothing even comparable at this stage. It doesn't mean we don't take care of and maintain and manage um, Facebook. Uh, doesn't mean that we don't post other places, but there is nothing more important. And that's why I'm doing Instagram myself on my team is because I just feel like that's so important. But you wanna leverage that other content, Aaron, to put in other places as well. And that's a good one to delegate to your team as an example. Let's see, uh, Colleen, how do you motivate a burned out team? Gosh. Good question. Colleen, the best way to figure that out is to ask the team. I know that sounds crazy to say, but especially with my team, I'm always saying I assign a lot of deadlines based on their perception of their own bandwidth. I say put it on your plate when your bandwidth allows. I'm always reminding people of the mission and the vision. And most importantly, be the role model. Be the role model. Say, hey, listen, I'm going to take a break. Hey, listen, I'm pacing myself. Hey, listen. Um, if they see you, you know, prioritizing your wellness, that makes a a big difference too. But I think burnout is something that doesn't, there, there's no solve universally for that. I think that has to be a dialogue with your team. And that dialogue is incredibly important to have and have the minute you recognize there's a lot of burnout. I'll literally tell my team sometimes if I recognize it or I've heard a conversation about it, I'm like, listen, I'm going to send you things over the weekend or I'm going to send you things at night. I don't expect a reply unless I text you, don't work. Like, stop. And I think that's really important to do for your team sometimes, to hear them say say it to you. I think that's really important. Uh, Andrew, what do you do when you have a boatload of old but classic content that could be repurposed but needs a facelift so it looks modern? Um, you know what? Use it on your Thursdays, Andrew. Thursday is throwback Thursday, right? TBT. Throwback Thursday, and just post it, but give it a context. Post it and say, four years ago, I was still teaching this, or five years ago, I was going through this. And people love seeing that, so don't worry about posting it. It's very common to do that on Thursdays for Throwback Thursday. Uh, but any time that is relevant to a theme you're teaching that week is a good time to do it as well. Let's see. Um, Eric, saying, how do you go from popular to profitable, creating content for content's sake? It's killing me. I need to figure out how to move from a lot of likes and followers to a lot of paying clients. Good man, Eric. That is exactly what you need to do. Your primary focus in creating content, if you own your own business, is to first create the marketing funnels and the marketing content that sells. Let me give you an example. The last two days, not kidding you, uh no, since, since Friday, I've done 10, 20, I've probably done 40 videos in all since Friday. So my team sent me this big shot list of all these things they'd love me to do, right? And some of them are short ads. Some were like welcome videos. Some were marketing videos, uh, you know, in a marketing funnel. Some of them were like just episodes for YouTube or for a challenge that we're about to launch. And in every time I get that shot list, all I do is I prioritize based on the ads, And the sales videos. And which one do I usually start with out of those two? The sales video, right? Your focus is always get the sales videos awesome. Spend more time on your sales videos and the videos leading in, as an example, to the sales video than anything else. Now, this is just an example because I know Eric's question might be broader than this. But I think it's really important. If you're going to create, create the things that, are leading to the monetization of your brand or your content first. That gets the primary focus of each and every week of your life. Content for social media around all that, that's secondary. Sales first, social media second. That's how you have to think about it. So I prioritize the things I need to shoot for my email funnels for my value sequences, for my sales videos, for our customers. And then social media is something my team maintains or I get to after. For example, today's a great example. usually post so many times during the day on Instagram. In the last couple of days, I've been filming so much. I prioritized the filming over the social media because the filming, the content I was creating was the stuff that was gonna monetize. I hope that helps. That's really, really important. I think a lot of people need to spend way more time on focusing on building the business than they do on the social media. I really think that's the problem. We've been all taught to build for likes and build for an audience. And I'm like, no, the first thing I ever did was create something to sell. That's it. Create stuff to sell, create the sales sequence for it, obsess about that, then build the audience. Grant, Herbert says, Brennan. I have asked this question Oh, for three months, so hoping you can help. You got it. I have audiences in different countries around Asia-Pacific. How do you set your course prices in different countries? Do you charge less in developing countries? Grant, um, what I do is uh, it, I advise most of my customers, because I'm not in a lot of countries um, other than just straight up in English. Um, I haven't translated for a lot of the countries where I would lower the price. So mostly I'm in English-speaking, more developed countries- Um, and so I have not adjusted price on anything. However, the hundreds of clients I've helped deal with the exact same question, Grant, is what you do is you try to make it in relative terms to their equivalent of the dollar. So, for example, if, if you're charging $200 in the U.S., um, and it's, you know, I'm just making up numbers, you know, it's 10, you know, hoopty hoopties, uh, in terms of their dollars, 10 per your 200, I'm going to adjust based on that pricing, if that makes sense. I want to make sure it's a similar price in terms of average income in that country. I hope that's making sense. Do not feel that you need to adjust your prices to expand into other countries. I would always do that almost secondary optimize the country you are in, where most of your prices are coming from, really infiltrate and take command of that country or that place first. Because here's what happens, Grant, then you go into all these other countries with all these other price points. All these other countries and all these other price points are all things you have to manage. And the more things you have to manage, the bigger the team, and often you're actually not making that much more money based on the lowering of the prices to meet that local currency level. And now you've got but your overhead to manage all the people in order to cut, slice, dice, and manage all these different offers, all these different products across these different countries, it ends up usually coming in at a loss. So make sure you do your math on that one based on how much resources you're gonna to have to hire to maintain all those new offers. It's one reason I chose not to try to expand too early in my career and I feel like, just for everyone's reference, I still feel like I'm early in my career. My first book came out in 2001, and I began this full-time in 2006, I, yeah, 2006. So it's 13 years full-time, I, I'm like, I feel like I just am figuring things out. So I know a lot of technologies changed over the years too that led to that. Hey all it's Brendan, and I wanna make sure that you go check out growthday.com. It's an all-in-one personal development platform where you can do everything you would like to do for personal development in one place. You can capture your mindset journaling, set your goals, track your habits and improve them, take wellness challenges, and learn from the highest powered, highest paid, most respected motivational teachers, wellness coaches, and life coaches in the world live every week one trial we just call it starter that's where you're just using the tools you know it's the mindset journal where we prompt you with tons of research back prompts to help you become more positive confident self-aware and happy we've got your goal tracking system that's where you set your personal development goals and reminders so like reminders to meditate, or reminders to call your partner and flirt, or you know, reminders to make sure that you do this one project. It's also got, importantly, your habit tracking system. This is where you can track your high-performance habits, which we teach you to do, and then you receive targeted scores and recommended videos to improve those. Our pro level now includes live classes. You know, we've got the best teachers in all of personal and professional development period in the app. These folks all charge over $50,000 for a one hour keynote, but they're live every single month in growth day teaching for 45 minutes. Then we have what we call all access. And that's where you get the tools plus the live classes, but also over 20 deep dive, powerful life transformative courses. So these courses, these classes, these are things that would cost over $3,000 a month to access. But Growth Day Pro, as an example, is less than a buck a day. Your personal development is worth a dollar a day. Your access to these people is worth a dollar a day. But you can start free right now when you go to growthday.com. Why are you on a WordPress page and not on Kajabi? Uh, Faye, because we've been doing our monthly training like you're experiencing right here for a very long time, well before Kajabi had the tools that we um, wanted to integrate with my brendan.com site. As most of you guys know, 100% of our other marketing pages are all on Kajabi. It's these two live pages, the one I use for our High Performance Monthly, and the one I use for this Experts Academy Marketing Monthly, I just kept on my page because they were already coded, built, and running for years. Nicole says, suggestions for implementing all the amazing things that we learn. What are your best practices with your learnings? Nicole, having a schedule and having a pattern of practice with your team is everything. Like Your team should have a rhythm that you create for them And you should be on a rhythm. And that rhythm is the only way to stay consistent. And I frankly really believe mentally healthy. And so my team's running a rhythm. They get submitted like my YouTube episode, that full length episode, and they go to work on it. They cut up all those things I was talking about. And they get the blog up, they get the YouTube up, they get the podcast up, they get it posted. I mean, they just take it. And that's their weekly rhythm that they keep on. And they're awesome at it. Then I have the weekly rhythm of creating new content to support that. And I have the weekly rhythm of maintaining my social media at least two to four posts a day on Instagram um, and stories. And that rhythm uh, and staying consistent with that is what builds the audience, what builds the audience. And then Nicole, as I'm sure you've heard me teach before, block time. Like making sure you are blocking consistent time each week of where and how and when you create. Like many of you know, I create my my quote cards. I write them every single morning. I write new quotes every single morning for over 10 years. Every single morning, I write four new quotes. I think of a topic or something I've been hearing. I write down the quotes in now just my notes section in my phone. And then later on, I'll make them pretty or I'll post them or I'll utilize them in some copy somewhere. I hope that helps. Brian's asking, Instagram is short videos, so how do I make the longer ones? I have no current audience for that. How do I get them to watch my Facebook Lives? Brian, you begin. If you got an email list, you drive them to wherever you're going to be live. If you uh, want to schedule when you're going to go live, you can post that schedule when you're going to go live on Facebook, and you can boost or promote as an ad that live to a target audience that you do want to pick up, that you do want to register for and see it. You can boost it or run it as an ad on Facebook, and then when you go live, there's all these people who get the notification that you're there, they see you, they watch you, you tell them to subscribe, tell them when you're gonna be back, which is important, tell them when you're gonna be back to do it again, and you just start building the momentum. That's all. We all started that way, and I know a ton of you uh, get that. Like You just have to start somewhere. Donna is asking, do you cut up your paid courses and post some of those as free stuff for an evergreen campaign or is the evergreen campaign free content different from the course? Donna, we do both. We do absolutely do both. We take some of our course stuff and we'll cut it up. Uh, we never, never the full thing, but pieces of it. And we'll put that on social media or we'll preview it in a marketing funnel. Say, Hey, here's a little clip of it. If you like it, sign up for this thing. We do both of those. Matter of fact, If you listen to the Brendan show, a lot of those best of episodes are from coursework that I've done in the past. Like a lot of it, not the full thing. Maybe I taught for two hours, but they'll take 20 minutes of it, of a hot section out of there. And that might be the episode we put up on social media. And everyone else goes, but won't my paying customers care? I'm like, no, no. as long as you didn't post the whole thing for everybody else. And as long as everything that they paid for, you're not putting out free. I feel like maybe I've done seven hours of live things today. I think that will help you understand the difference. Let's see, Mads, that was a great question. How do you hire the team that totally understands this stuff about reusing content? You literally, you build out the rhythm. Just like if go Mads, go into uh, Experts Academy, go into circular viralosity, and see how I like printed out those instructions to do circular viralosity. You give stuff like that to your team and say, I expect you to do this, right? Or you create your rhythm that everybody knows it's this. Like I connect with Ben on my video team and I say, hey man, this is what I want from now on and how I want it to go out there. And he works with my social team and it just happens. It's not about describing it to them. It's about writing it down and creating the rhythm that the whole team knows. You got to walk them through it. You got to document it. And you got to have somebody on the team who's in charge of it. So I have what I call uh, leads on my team, Mads. People who are like in charge of that rhythm or in charge of that area. And once I explain the rhythm or document the rhythm with them or work out the rhythm with them, that's their job to make sure that rhythm is getting executed or to let me know why it's not happening. Let's see, Lori finally got an assistant, an IT team, a social media team. A team makes all the difference. Ginger seconds that. She says, don't wait, my friends, to hire. I think that's so important. David cowboy. Hi, Brennan. How do you organize your learning and research process to teach and create content for courses and events? Whatever project I'm working towards, let's say I'm going to create a course on confidence. I'll say, okay, I'm going to create the course 90 days from now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy all the books I can at the bookstore on confidence. I'm going to download all these academic research things. I'm going to stack up the research. Before I do the research though, I'm gonna sit down and write from my perspective, what are the 10 critical things someone would have to do to develop confidence? In other words, I write it from my perspective first, David, my 10 things. So, so if someone said, Brennan, do a course on marriage, I'd be like, great, I write 10 things I know about marriage or 10 things that I think are the most important. Then I'd compile all of the research and I'd start digging through it to see, are there any holes in my approach? Are there any things I didn't think of covering? Or I find that the research reveals is a bigger priority of what I I did. So I start from my own personal experience. Then I add in and layer in either the research or the research principles or the things I'm learning about to flesh it out so that I have either some data to reference, references to give, or just kind of rounding out my own theory to make sure it's really good. And then once I have something that's synthesized, it all pleases together, then I'm like, okay, here's the 10 things. Then I'll start asking myself questions like, okay, what story do I have for each of these 10 things that illustrates the point? What statistics might I have to each of these 10 things that illustrates the point? What's a challenge I could give the audience to each of these 10 things that makes them feel the point? You know, what's a resource I could give or recommend for each of these 10 things that will make it stick? So that type of thinking helps flush it all out. Jennifer's asking, am I keeping it too simple? If I use a prompts like today's message to myself and share it when I go live seems like a nice message to share the learning journey and to be so real and relatable. Jennifer, I love that. So she's going live each day saying, okay, my message to myself today is, uh, you know, just trust in yourself and go for it. And then she'll go live and say, Hey, today is I have this message to myself. Trust. In myself and go for it. And what that means to me is this, and I'm going to apply it over here, and here's what I'm up to. I don't think it's too rudimentary at all. In fact, I think it's any of those prompts from High Performance Planner or any of the prompts in any book that you read. Like, I, what I tell people often is like, go back through your journals and see something you learned or wrote about in your journal. Talk about that. Don't overcomplicate it. I think people are really overcome. You don't need to be a research theorist. To go on Instagram Live and just talk about your day and what you're learning, what you're trying to do. And I think, Jennifer, you doing that is keeping it real and relatable. And like I've admitted very openly to you guys, it's like, I think I could have done a better job about that in the last three or four years. But I had my research hat on as I was doing high performance habits. And it probably cost me a little bit of my own following and growth. So I think it's very important to always be doing that. Let's see. Andrew said, would attending one of your conferences and commenting on what I'm learning daily be an example of what you're talking about? Absolutely. I think anytime you're sharing something that you're learning, just if you're attending a conference, just make sure you're not going live and kind of sharing everything you're learning there because that can be a content copyright violation. So always ask the promoter at what you're doing and don't regurgitate everything that you're learning there. You might share, here's one thing I got from today. Versus here's the five things they taught on stage today because that can get you in trouble. I hope that helps. Jason, red question, Jason, from San Diego. What are your thoughts on putting my full 30-minute weekly video shows on Instagram TV or Facebook Watch? Yes, do it. Versus posting clips that drive people to watch a full episode on my website. Full videos on my website gets me email addresses. Full videos on social media does not. That's why, Jason, premiere it on your website. Push it on your website as much as you can. And then use that content to recycle a week, two, three, four, a month later. Okay. So premiere it on your website. That's what we do. We put it on our blog and our YouTube, which is our primary audiences. And then we'll recycle it later in those other formats, which we're really, really prioritizing this summer. That's a great question. Brian's asking about, do you use multiple apps or automate apps uh, over time? We really don't, amazingly. Um, lots of people do love to use like a Hootsuite or a Planoly. We just don't very much because it's honestly, it's been me or my team actually posting and scheduling because Facebook allows you to schedule anyway. And I think that's really important. Uh, but I find out what works for you. Crystal, any tips on how to hire inexpensive virtual assistant just to handle the content posting? I've got plenty of content to sort through, but don't want to use up my creativity on it. Crystal, yeah, I often just recommend... Go to Upwork, find somebody who's done it before, look at their library, look at their reviews. That's why I like Upwork. It's just like, there's their entire example of what they've done. There's their reviews. It can help you choose somebody really fast and get in the game very, very fast. HPA Coach what do you think about posting on LinkedIn? My clients are more professionals or business owners. I think you should absolutely post in on LinkedIn then. I also think that you should be on Facebook and Instagram. I think that's absolutely, what I love, what I do is I do one thing on YouTube and that can be used on Facebook, Instagram, and on LinkedIn versus trying to do one thing on LinkedIn and then trying to feed these other pieces. I do one longer piece and it can be put across everything else. That's always been my approach and it's kept it simple for me. Very, very simple for me. Let's see. Jeff's asking best marketing platform for millennials at the point. No question. Instagram. With its tools, its engagements, and its popularity, definitely on Instagram would be my recommendation. Okay, uh, back to Jason. I'm creating my first training, but I'm confused about the steps after expert story positioning and before the step-by-step, in which I share, you know, talk about mindset, talk about myths and trends. Okay, um, mindset. Uh, always break down. So you share your story. Expert story positioning means you would share your story about your journey of, struggling through something of learning and succeeding. And then say, and what I learned about that is I had to have a different mindset. My old mindset was like this. My new mindset to succeed had to be like this. So if you're going to change your life or you're going to do whatever it is you're selling, you're going to have to adjust your mindset in these ways. And then you go into myths and trends. You say, and that's really important right now because you know what? The old world has... Sort of die. Like it used to be, you know, you had to do these things, these myths. But now the truth is you do these things, right? Because that's important because the trends are showing this. So we've got to adapt. It just helps you really position yourself as an expert when you're teaching people the mindset that they need to adopt and the myths or trends that might be affecting their lives or their careers as an example. Emily, would you consider a blog out once a week as a secondary to getting your OVO content developed first? Just a little confusing. Yes, they are. I would absolutely say it's secondary. OVO is a sales funnel, right? Get the email, add the value, make the offer. Opt-in, value, offer. Opt-in, value, offer. Setting that up is the most important thing. The most important thing. Because if we can't get people into that, we can't get a sale. And so for me, I will absolutely do that well before. That would always be the priority before I create social media content. Because listen, guys, social media content, if you skip a couple days, you skip a couple days. But if you don't have anything to sell and you can't transact, you can't add value, you're toast. Okay, uh, I think this is really, really important. Uh, Mads is asking, my Facebook ad guys would like to set up our ads with the Facebook automatic algorithm to find the best customers instead of us trying to figure out the best ads and retargeting setup. Your thoughts on that? Mads, do both. Absolutely do both. Run one ad and one campaign where Facebook takes it, let them see how it hunts, let them see how it does, and then you do it on your own, and you just see who wins. I actually believe you should always do that for every campaign. Never assume they'll do it better or you'll do it better. That's part of marketing. Testing it out, my friend. Testing it out. Uh, Friend, Brendan, how do you convert your Facebook and Instagram followers to your email list? I think the most important thing is always having them, I'm always linking over to like our free book campaigns where they have to enter their name and email to start the process or over to our newsletter page or over to an opt-in page, meaning I'm giving them the opportunity to swipe up or click over, that's important. And also for many of you, if you haven't heard me teaching about this, I've been pushing really hard to everybody that what really works right now in social media conversion into email is challenges. Many of you saw me at the beginning of the year launch Transformation Week with Denise, my wife. And Transformation Week was really an effort to do a challenge that add a lot of value to my community, but to capture that community. Because we had all these social media fans and followers, and we, I think we got like 50,000 opt-ins or something else like that, um, just from, you know, Social media, I know ads too, um, but just pulling people's, telling them, hey, go sign up for Transformation Week, go sign up for this challenge. So challenges are probably the best way. Webinars would be the second best way, in my opinion. Freebie gifts would be third best way. Hope that helps. David uh, is asking about software that makes things look live but are not live. I'm not a fan of them. I don't think I like if you're. Doing a webinar, you don't have to say you're live. You can say a live broadcast of it, but doesn't mean you have to say that you're live. Meaning, instead of saying it's, if it's, if it's really not live, I just tell people to say instead, airing at this time. Right? This, this thing will re-air or will air at this time. But I just, I'm personally against making things look like they are live. But that's my personal, I don't, I don't judge anyone else's approach to it. Just not my thing. Daniel, I'm planning to start a personal finance blog. Do you have a good reference for writing quality content on a consistent basis? Man, definitely. Daniel, easy one. Upwork. Start there. Super simple. Um, again, because you can really look at what they've done in the past and gauge it that way. Let's see. Uh, Anai is asking, Brendan, is there anything unique that you do to enter a creative mood? Yes, absolutely. For me, My creative moves tend to come in the morning or they tend to come after a workout. So I'm just attentive to both and I set myself up to win with a rhythm beforehand. So as an example, when I get up, many of y'all know, I do my morning routine and then I'm in a creative mood after that morning routine. And so my morning routine triggers the creative mood and my workouts trigger a creative mood after. So after my workouts, I come home, I'll traditionally shower and bust out a journal. (laughs) right after workout, and that those two things help. Other than that, creativity is sitting down and starting and seeing what comes up. No matter how I feel, it's doing the work and blocking the time. I think that's really important. Calvin is asking a great question. I speak Spanish and Portuguese and English, and I'm attempting to tap into those markets. How can I keep people engaged on my Facebook and Insta pages when I have three different languages? I think you just use those languages, and inappropriate to how much of your audiences speak that language. So look at your analytics. And if more speak Portuguese than Spanish, use Portuguese more often than Spanish. If more speak English, use English more often. But start weaving it in. And if you find that it's confusing people or upsetting things, forget about it. Keep doing it anyway. But you might also start another account that's exclusively in a language once you reach a certain amount of people. That's all. Anthony, what about the best platform for those in their 40s and 50s? Doesn't matter. Be everywhere. Um, um, Facebook is definitely dominant for that age range. No questions asked, but uh, Instagram's catching up so fast. Jason, Brennan, do you need uh, permission to use introduction songs when you take the stage? Yes, you have to use a license for that. Um, BMI, you type in BMI music license. That will come up and you can choose from a lot there. Um, Duck is back in the house. 24 years old. I mean, you know that man. I love to help inspire younger people from 16 to 23 with personal development. Yet sometimes I realize it's too philosophical and hard to resonate with them because someone just tells them what to do. Could you please share some messaging strategies to connect with that age range of 16 to 23? You know, 16 to 23, you got to think about everything on their mind is everything they're trying to, they're trying to sort themselves out. And so your conversation has to be about helping them sort themselves out and being themselves, being true to themselves. And the other thing they're dealing with so much is lack of clarity about purpose or the things they're supposed to do. Talk about that. And the third thing they're talking about is relationships. They're in new relationships. They're breaking up from relationships. They're leaving the home. And so relationships are paramount and everything to the drama in their life. (laughs) So you have to discuss those three topics a lot. A lot, um, and it's okay if it's too philosophical. The people who will connect—if that's your style—don't feel like you have to. No, no one here should bend your style to meet the audience. I really don't believe. I think we've got. That, that's what happens is in, in social media is, you know, every time you bend who you really are to adjust to them, that's a little that can be a little knife at your congruence and who you really are, and it can lead to an inauthenticity. So be you. I think it's really important. Okay, I know you guys have so many questions. Um, Karen's last question. What weekly Insta story strategy would you recommend? I would recommend a daily Insta story strategy. And you can, like listen, you should be reposting stories of people who are DMing or mentioning you if they're showing or using any of your products, your services or hashtags, they're giving you shout out. So use your stories to showcase the people in your community. I think it's important. Showcase the people in your community. Number two, to talk about what you're working on, what you're up to every single day, if possible, or once or two or three times a week, like me. I'm more like a three-time-a-week guy that I'll do that. And then use it as, be, just be cautious of using it as ads for everything. We probably overdo that, which I've gotten some good feedback on and I really appreciate it. Uh, and, you know, don't forget to cut up the value pieces you have from your longer form and put it in there as well, because people ultimately want value in the stories, but they also want to know you. So tell them your journey. All right, y'all. I applaud each of you for really working on marketing. Like, keep doing that. Really get your marketing up to its A game this year. Make it a priority to get good at your marketing, or build the team that can support you in your marketing, because that will help you speed up.